do you believe it? I haven't disclosed the name of our animal to be named later. I've gotten through this whole three weeks when you finally let me. I, I can't believe I've done it. But here we are. Uh, I'm a little surprised, too, to tell you the truth. Yeah. But you did do it. You did I, do I'm it. You fully capable. Do it. And I cannot say yeah. anything. I'm going to let you say it because as far as I'm concerned, anything I say is a breach. Wow. So I like, I like your point, discipline. I do like your discipline. You've got to make know? up for the times I've screwed up. So. Okay. All right. All right. Don't be too but you know what? Yourself. There's only one what? way I'm going to get past this. And it's that's to, to do get it. this doggone show. Let's get this show on the road. Are you All ready? Right, sir. sir, I'm ready, sir. Hey, welcome to the Bro Show. I'm Jerry. And I'm John. We are brothers, actual biological brothers, same mother, same father. And guess what? We are going to talk about four things like we do every Saturday morning. Yep. That's right. And those four things are, number one, we're going to talk about an animal to be disclosed shortly. Okay. We have one animal for each season. Each season is six months long. Okay. So we have an animal story. Number two. We have a word. These words mm. are words we stumble upon. <laughs> good, good, good verb description there. Words we stumble upon while we do our research for things like our main topics. Our main mm. topic is called two takes. It's some yep. big thing we talk about. Yeah. Ooh. And we have two different takes usually because we yep. are two different brothers. If you met us, you know that. Yeah. Last but not least, owners. Ooh, bad. groaners, bad, bad jokes, jokes, bad jokes. Ooh, yeah. all good. Mm, you bet. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Hey, listen, what, 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 what season is it? Really what, what's know? the number? What number is it? Twelve. Twelve. Okay, okay, that's good. I, I'm a numbers guy. I like to know numbers. Well, that's season the number. Twelve, and this will be episode one. Twelve. That is one. correct. Twelve hey, hey. one. Yeah. Hey, wow. What t-shirt are you wearing? What t-shirt? I can't disclose it. Oh, I'm security breach. I can't do it. I, I can't say what that was a test. This is, this is a test. You did it. You 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 testing me to the bitter end. But uh, maybe you will be able to let the viewing audience or the listening audience know what you are wearing. What do you have? I'm wearing I'm wearing our, our second T-shirt that we ever produced. Ooh, it's a, a brochure color. Fist bump? Technicolor fist bump. That's correct. Wow. Those yeah. are the days. Weren't they, though? Mm. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, hey, listen, you um, know what? A new season means we've got a new sponsor. Ooh, let's hear it. Hey, listen, our new sponsor is the Animal Legal Defense Fund. <laughs> this is a non-for-profit. I like Its that. mission is to do three things. Number one is to protect animals from harm, all types. And every client that walks through, I mean, um, saunters through the door is a innocent already we know it we just need to protect them they also they are advocates for any legislation that might work mm. in the favor of these wonderful animals and you what see? they do is they also provide resources and opportunities to law students and professionals to advance their careers in this emerging field called animal law so wow. that's what they're all about. Uh, they are been in existence for 40 years, critically acclaimed. 
I, you know, I like the, I like the, the statistics on them. They spend over oh. 82% of their money on program benefits, only 6% on admin, and 12% oh. on fundraising. They have won uh, the platinum level for GuideStar. They're, in, they're a member of the Better Business Bureau. They are considered one of America's best charities. They've got the seal of approval, seal of excellence. I could go on and on and on. Let's just say they're a four-star nonprofit. And guess wow. what they've got? They've got swag. it. They, they swag. They got swag. Who do they have swag? They do. They've too. got a, a. They have got a variety of T-shirts. When you look at their T-shirts, you just almost drool. They're so yeah. so good. Tell me about it. So and well, I my think brother, my is, brother got me one. My brother got. Me I think one. there's one in transit, or it's it's already been ordered. Yeah. It's just a matter of time. It might be a couple weeks. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's all good. That's for sure. Mm. For sure, for sure. So a yeah. new sponsor, and I'll tell you right now, I usually give the yeah. same vibe about the, the same uh, thing every week. This sponsor has got so many niches to it that I would say that I will be able to not every week, but I'm sure I'm going to have a nuance that you won't believe as to the wonderful oh. things that these uh, that this organization does. So leave it at that. Uh, I will leave it at that. However, I think we're almost. Are we ready yet for the animal story, John? <laughs> I do believe it is time for you, Mr. Producer, the one who okay. came up with this wonderful animal, to let everybody know what the new animal is. Go for it. All right. The new animal is the meerkat. And it is not merely a cat. It is not merely a cat. Oh, hold on. Let me In fact, it's it. not a cat. Oh, wait a minute. Why did you explain it? <laughs> You're getting excited. You're getting really excited. Okay, here's how it's spelled. M-E-E-R-K-A-T. It's it's a Dutch word, okay? And it refers to an animal, as John said, that is not a cat. And it is not mere, as in M-E-R-E. <laughs> a mere cat, there's a lot, there's some dispute, John, as to where the name came from. Uh mm. Yeah, some say it came out of India, which is unlikely. Um, and some say it's German. Some say it's Afrikaans. Some say, there's a lot of different. Who knows? Uh, these animals are somewhat. I think one of those dominant theories is that this is a word that often refers to any small mammal, burrow, particularly if it burrows. Burrowing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to go with that. Uh, they do like to eat insects. Hey, where do they hang? They are, where do they hang? Uh, do Southern they Africa. Southern Africa. Not necessarily so just South words, Africa. I can't go out in Lincoln Park here and find one of these critters, right? That is correct, sir. <laughs> uh, it, it, is, it is considered uh, a mongoose, a type of mongoose, a very right. small mongoose. Yeah. And is they do like differ. Is that a ferret, too, or something like no. that? No. Oh, oh, oddly okay. enough, it is not. Okay. Uh, although it has an elongated body that reminds people of ferrets, and it even has an odor like a ferret, a musky mm-hmm. odor, but it is not a ferret. Uh, well, how big it, are they? How big are they? It's a suricate, actually. S U R I C A T. Yeah, I saw that. The, the big mm-hmm. ones, the big ones, are a foot long and weigh two pounds. They can live up to twenty years, in, and particularly in captivity. And they should not be in captivity, by the way. Oh, oh yeah, cat, pet, give it up. You know. <sighs> Take it someplace. 
where it can enjoy They're very regular... social animals. They're social animals, oh. although they might sit in your lap and you can pet them. They are eager yeah. to be among themselves, and they do wonderful things. They they have a kind of a social order uh, that is very, oh, yeah. very interesting. So uh, very, very good. Uh, diet, uh, like you said, insects, eggs, uh, mm-hmm. predators. Uh, Got to watch out for snakes. Uh, birds of uh, prey will come down and well, Zap they'll them. eat a small snake. They will eat a small snake, and and yeah. they will kill uh, cobras because they know they're pretty wow. venomous. Well, that's yeah. the key. That's one of the more interesting characteristics of this animal, is it has a, a an ability to become immune to the venom of a of a snake, yeah. and there's a variety of ways it's able to eat the snake, but also not worry about actually poisoning themselves by yeah. uh, building up immunity. In addition to the fact that there might be remnants of the poison on the snake, they have ways of kind of rubbing it off, et cetera. So, yeah, but they do that with scorpions. Yeah. They do that with scorpions. They cook yeah. them too. Yeah. And they're good, they're good by the fact that they, uh, yeah, them good eaten uh, <laughs> yeah. of the social order and the, and the way that they kind of, kind of hang uh, socially. It's, it's like, how do they take care of their young? Well, each of them, it isn't like you got mama bear, bear, papa bear, and baby bear. No. You've got yourself, uh, you've got baby bear, but you've got all these, a variety of uh, babysitters, uh, what I call babysitters, uh, meerkats, that are always there to take care of them. So they have a kind of interesting social order as it relates to this. So it's a very, yeah. very interesting animal. So. Uh, I'd say it's fascinating. In fact, they're, they're being studied. Uh, there's a long-term study going on in the Kalahari, De- Kalahari Desert studying the Kalahari, Kalahari meerkat. Yeah, it's and you'll see it. You'll see these uh, these videos. There's one called Meerkat Manor that takes place in the Kalahari. And you, well, you can watch it. Yeah. You know, they don't actually drink water, which is really surprising. They're in the you know, where they live in Africa. They don't yeah. have the uh, you know, they're in a, in a desert climate. So what they're yeah. able to do is to take just uh, rocks and things that have a bit of moisture on them and live with that mere amount of it. And I guess, of course, they probably do other with liquids, like they must drink beer or something, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, they do not drink beer. Uh, if, if a meerkat had a sip of beer, I think he'd be passed out. They fall asleep very easily, uh, oh. actually. So, hey, here's the deal on water. They get it from roots. That's one of the only reasons they dig up a plant to eat the root is to get the water. The roots, that's it. And also insects. Okay. Insects uh, have a lot of fluid within them, as you know, and some of their other prey items provide liquid, but they are very good at this. Now, even more surprising in not drinking water is the fact that they have zero body fat. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it zero. Sure I mean, so mean and mean. That means that they spend a good deal of time foraging. Uh, right. They are hunter-gatherers. And they are omnivores. Uh, are, are these smart critters or not? They're smart. Some people believe they're as smart as humans. Wow. Well, you know, I yeah. I would say that they got their own language of those little squeaky different noises that they make when they communicate with each other. If all we, mon- you know, they probably they probably understand us talking, but we can't understand them, and they have their own language. Well, it's been deciphered more or less. Has it really? Actually, okay. yeah, it has. They have tw- up to twelve different. Uh, Words or calls that they make, uh, they have no problem with repeating themselves. Um, they almost act like radar pinging, you know, uh, to let other meerkats know what they're up to. 
Now, Mong- mongoose uh, does this too. They don't have as many different calls. But the interesting thing about a mongoose is that they will identify who they are in addition to saying what they're doing, which is kind of interesting. So they self-describe all the time. Uh, whereas uh, a meerkat is more interested in danger. These are danger animals. They will say what's going on in terms of predators more often than not. And they will also kind of say what they're doing. You know, I'm foraging, I'm looking for this. And if there's a threat, they will identify the nature of the threat. There's a different call for an aerial predator than a terrestrial predator, which I found very interesting. I'm sure you wow. did too. Well, listen, I think we're going to get a lot of good stories uh, in terms yeah. of these. We've just be- begun to scratch the surface with Meerkat 101. And by the way, you can, if you want to, call the little babies mere kittens, but I think cubs might be a, a more preferable term. A group of them is known as what, John? What is a group of meerkats? Uh, mob, gang. Uh, That's they, correct. They would fit in well in Chicago if they uh, just uh, <laughs> the, the weather would, would cooperated. <laughs> yeah, the weather would work uh, a little better. But you know, they thermoregulate, so they can they can get more. Mm. They can lower their uh, metabolic rate. That's how they live with no body fat. Yeah. Wow. All good. I know it's. All good. We could keep talking about mirror. Yeah, we, but we, we got to cut it off, nip it at the bud, because we got to move on to a word. Before we leave Meerkat, so you can buy a Meerkat T-shirt, uh, a season of the Meerkat T-shirt. It's a bro show T-shirt. You can get it on Bonfire. And we have links oh, to wow. it. Yeah, we have links to it in the show notes. So, well, that yeah. means you could get you could get either a Meerkat T-shirt or you could get a, a T-shirt from the uh, legal defense fund. That wow. is correct. Double your pleasure. Yeah. Double your pleasure. Do. Absolutely. So that's cool. Hey, what's our word? What's our word? So our word is egalitarian. E-G-A-L-I-T-A-R-I-A-N. Uh, egalitarian. That's a word ran into as we were doing a little research on our top two takes topic. It uh, definition is characterized in the belief that all people are equal, especially politically, economically, and socially. So um, here's an example sentence which came out of uh, the the book, which we'll talk about in a bit. And that sentence is long ago. The civilization the civilization story goes, we are hunter gatherers living in tiny bands. These bands are egalitarian. In other words, everybody has an equal voice in what is done. So that is the Mm. good word. That is the good word. And bands like the Rolling Stones and Beatles. Wow. No. That's it. Did I do that wrong? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. For some reason, I lost something in translation. But I think it did. There. Lost wow. in translation. Wow, that says it all. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting word, John. And yes, it, yes, I guess yes. This is this is a segue word, is it not? It is. It's it's a segue word, and what we've got to do is we got to just jump into it. We just got to talk about our two takes. Okay. And uh, th- and this is a book that came out uh, a year ago. I'm kind of surprised I didn't realize it. It's called The Dawn of Everything, A New History of Humanity. The book uh, actually hit the, it, it hit the street uh, back in October of 2021, written by an Ivy League anthropologist, anarchist, activist, uh, David Grabner, the late David Grabner, unfortunately just passed away soon after the book was released, and mm. collaborated with a University of Oxford archaeologist, David Wingrow. Um, 
these two guys had been kind of, uh, you know, you've got an archaeologist, a guy with his shovel ready to dig. And then you've got the anthropologist who's, you know, in his ivory tower. All of a sudden they decided about 10 years ago, they started having a conversation and they realized that they were bantering back and forth the history of humanity and how the traditional history of humanity isn't exactly what we what what it is, what what, what might appear to be. So therefore, mm. critiques that traditional and standard narrative of human history. That, and the common belief would be that uh, that okay. uh, Western Western civiliza- civilization progressed, you know, by having a, uh, we would start with hunter gatherers and then go to the age of agriculture and move there to the industrial revolution, and all of a sudden we're here we are all screwed up. And what happened? Uh, iPhones. So, yeah, iPhones. That's you know, it's like this further development of large scale society. Uh, you know, we've been locked into, you know, includes some good stuff, uh, technological advance, but we've paid the price. And that price is social inequality. Uh, we've got this, uh, you know, we've got stratification of our uh, of our classes. We've got wars. Mm-hmm. We've got political systems that are just seem to be all this like what happened? Well, these guys decided what they would do is take a look and see if what happened. And as they did that, they realized that history, as we learned it, in class isn't exactly what it purports to be. They went wow. and took a look at uh, ancient communities, uh, indig- indigenous populations, and realized that uh, this idea that, you know, the caveman is leads a simple life because he's a simple man. Well, maybe he leads that simple life, but he's hardly a simple man. And mm-hmm. evidence shows, and we've seen it all along, we just haven't put the pieces together, that right. they actually lived in we would call towns, villages, small cities. And as we took a look, the archaeologists looked at it, they realized that these these small cities, they lived as in an egalitarian society, uh, but they were able to live that way. Uh, they didn't have this, uh, you know, social class uh, with, you know, the leaders at the top and uh, peons on the bottom. Uh, they, right. they had a system. And how did we know that? Well, as the archaeologists took a look at the dwellings that we could dig up and see what they looked like. And for some reason, right. they all look the same. So yeah. uh, why is this important and why are we figuring this out right now? Well, advances such as archaeology was one piece of the of, of the equation. But the other one is that the evidence that supports this was kind of sprayed all over and we needed somebody to digitalize it, compile it, put it in some sort of order. And that's what these two guys were able to do through a discourse that they had through bouncing back and forth with almost like a playful game where they would talk about, well, I know this. And then they and then all of a sudden, before they knew it, they had a body of knowledge, which they would collaborate with together and also as teachers with their peers and also with their students. Yeah. Yeah. So it all kind of is it's an amazing story. And and so the. It's and, and they've got they they ended up having like about four, uh, three or four different bodies or books they could do. And the the biggest challenge they had was where do we stop? Where do yeah. we stop in terms of the first book? Because as you go through this process learning, there are more questions than there are answers, and answers just bring forth more more questions. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, and here's here's what's important about this, and I think you could probably say as good as anybody, we're ready to learn from this experience because right now things are a little bit screwed up as our as we take a look and it's a time for us to be reflective and that's what these yeah. guys have left us with 
So yeah, uh, I agree. I agree. So it's a it's a bestseller, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bestseller. And I uh, let's just be truthful. This is yeah, it's a New York Times bestseller, and the the critics have been buried. And as you would expect, uh, something as controversial as this, when you shake the cage of professors all over the country as it relates to anthropology, obviously you're going to get some pushback, which they did. Uh, but I think overall, you, you could say that this is one of these things that's 75 percent critically acclaimed. And you got probably 25 percent of the people who are, uh, you know, say, well, these guys are you know, coming up with just very specific examples. This isn't the, this is the exception to the rule, et cetera. But I think mm. that if you listen to them and you understand the, pro- the, the way it worked out, it's very good. I didn't read the book yet. It's 700 pages long, but I have, That's right. I, I have a way of, of analyzing and taking a look and see if a book is really good or not. I'm uh, what's immediately your method, impressed. John? Acknowledgements. Uh-huh. To see that they did not write this book, in, you know, in, in a vacuum, in a cave. That's right. They That's had right. an enormous, uh, they, they, they basically ran their ideas by and collaborated with not only the, among themselves, the, the two individuals, but with a a vast uh, number of, of individuals, uh, you know, their ilk, uh, you know, professors, et cetera, in both of these uh, the practices of archaeology and anthropology. Uh, and and I think that's, that's what really uh, tells the whole story. So it, it's a fascinating thing. I think what's amazing to show you how we knew about it already, here we are in St. Louis, Missouri, only probably about, what, 25, 30 miles away from what yeah. we used to call Mound City in Cahokia, Illinois. That's right. That's right. And I'll never forget, we'd say, well, let's go out and take a look at what they got there, these gigantic mounds. Sitting within the in these mounds are these enormous little, these cities, uh, you know, they're, they're not like the size yep. of New York or Chicago, but they're definitely big enough that there needs oh, yeah. to be some sense of social order in them. Oh, and yeah. so the evidence was sitting there all along, and it just took somebody to piece this together, which is a very daunting task, and they were able they were able to do it. So yeah, well, there were a hundred thousand people lived in that area there. Yeah, that's that's a big number, and this is during the so-called hunter-gatherer period, too. You know, I guess the big hypothesis of the book, if you don't want to read the uh, seven hundred page book, is number one, you can watch an excellent TED talk. It's only about right. twelve minutes long that uh, Wengro did, and he's a great speaker. He's not like a charismatic speaker. He is a very intent and thoughtful speaker. And uh, if you like speakers like that, you really enjoy it. John and I really enjoyed listening to him talk, right? He's pretty good. And uh, we, yeah, go ahead. You know, once you, and once you read that, you do that 14 minutes, you say, well, I, I, that's what my appetite, I want a little bit more. You don't have to go jumping right into the book. We also have another audio that was done, an, an interview that was done by uh, – about an hour long and it is fascinating yeah. too yeah um, he answers so questions you, from another anthropologist right so that was all yeah. good it was all good and here here's the what is the hypothesis the hypothesis is that this stuff wasn't done in a linear fashion we didn't go from hunting hunting and gathering plants and what have you to uh agriculture and then agriculture led to caste systems and and hierarchies and then that led to the Industrial Revolution. It wasn't that way. It People go in and out of these phases. That's the other remarkable thing. In, right. in Cahokia, which you brought up as an excellent example, these, these wow. people, number one, were excellent architects. 
yet they had not reached the level of having an agrarian society, much less an industrial one. And they right. didn't have classrooms and instruction. They learned by doing through apprentice right. systems and stuff like that. And so and they they didn't have rigid groups. People go in and out of groups. You could work for a couple of years in Cokia and then say, I'm tired of this. I'm going to go, you know, uh, you know, do do fur trapping or whatever you wanted to do. You know, you didn't you weren't bound by any social contracts. So this was a period of experimentation, uh, a kind of enlightenment. Societies would form disband, reform. And this happened in the Mississippi Valley in Cahokia. This happened on the uh, uh, the Great Lakes where you had the Dakota Indians, where a right. group of them broke off and became Lakota. A group of them broke off and became Nakota. And they had different, uh, different societies, different cultures, even slightly different languages. And, you know, you saw them break off and go to the south and become the Comanche. So, you know, <laughs> this is in a tin. It's always, well, I don't like the way this works. Well, if you don't like the way it works. There's plenty of land over there. Go go start your own social experiment. And that's what happened. So, I, I think that we did a, it, too, by the way, the, the whole American democracy came from the Iroquois Confederacy. Right. Well, that, that's how democracy. we got our, our rules. That's what we're left with. And but unfortunately, the democracy we have isn't, you know, you think egalitarian. There's egalitarian democracy. Our democracy is based upon representation. It's right. this is a this is where are we going to go with this? Well, it's something which we broached before that I was thinking about. We okay. talked uh, many a couple of years ago about the, the power of cities where cities where the action is at. And really what it comes down to if we're going to learn something from all this is that we need to understand that we need to get back to a more local level as we address some problems. Yeah. We, we, we need to understand that some problems can only be addressed at a, at a maybe a federal level, international level, a world level, global level, etc. But mm. if they can be addressed at a much lower level, we're going to get better action, be more effective, be more efficient. And I think that's one of the, the, the messages that we get out of this. It isn't not only that we're looking back, but we're using what we learn from looking back to be looking forward. So that's. Yeah, absolutely. I think so, too. And, yeah, if you haven't heard of this, it's pretty popular. But, you know, you still may not have heard about this book. I strongly recommend you look into it. It's fascinating, illuminating. Uh, I think the biggest the biggest thing I took away from it, John, was this quote that is in a Harry Truman book I read. And he said, the only thing new under the sun is the history you don't know. Pretty good. That's exactly yeah. that hits that hits it. Yeah. And uh, so, again, the name yeah. of that book is uh, the, dawn the Dawn of Everything. Everything. Mm. Wow. All good. Yeah. All good. Hey, you ready? Are we ready to move on? Yeah. I we got, yeah, I got uh, two very good groaners provided to us by uh, Vincent Anthony Lauder Jr., one of our active supporters. He provides us with our groaners. And so here's mm -hmm. the very first groaner, if you are ready. I'm ready. What do you call? What do you call a group of religious dentists? What do you call a group of religious dentists? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Holy religious dentists, holy molars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You rolled right into that one. That's good. 
I okay. bit into that one. Yeah, good one, John. Uh, hey, okay. well, here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. That, I think that's a little bit of a stretch. Let's see what you got on, on in the second yeah, one. Yeah, I, I, that was the one that was a little bit. You needed to stretch. Yeah. Here's one, maybe yeah. not quite as much. How how do you address a balding man from Germany? How do you address a balding man from Germany? Oh, man, you got me. I don't know. <laughs> Hair loss. Oh, hair loss. Okay. All right. Oh, you needed to know German a little bit, okay? All right. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Hey, we should know German. Come on. Right? We should. We should. Yes, we should. Wunderbar show. (laughs) Oh, that's enough. We've done it.